atheists are made, not born. The biblical psychology of modern atheism will be in this for, I think, five weeks. So tonight, just kind of scratching the surface and, and uh, introducing it and getting into the concept that will govern the following, uh, the following studies. Let's just pray. We lift our hearts to you and we recognize not just your existence but your creative power and your loving reach in Jesus Christ. And this world can be a dark place and we just pray that you'll help us, Father, to shine as lights, give us understanding so many people to whom we speak don't acknowledge you and give us wisdom, give us patience and the truth from your word to guide our hearts and thoughts. Thank you that you not only exist, but that you shed your blood in God the Son, Jesus Christ, in history to redeem us from our sins and to give us eternal life. And so help us tonight, in Jesus' name, amen. Atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel, in his book, The Last Word, you have that quote. He says this, I want atheism to be true and am made uneasy by the fact that some of the most intelligent and well-informed people I know are religious believers. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right about my belief. It's that I hope there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. Say what you want. That's a very honest quote. That's the only really unique thing about it. Nagel expresses the kind of of uh, pushback that exists in his own heart that isn't admitted by most modern atheists. I say it's not admitted in most modern atheists, but it is evident in many of them. There's an anger that comes across in their writings and in their statements, an anger that really makes no sense being directed against the non-existent God in the modern atheist mind and words. Listen to this rant from Richard Dawkins in his book, The God Delusion. It's tongue twister, actually. He describes God as, quotes, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal. Filicide is the act of killing a son or a daughter. God kills his son, see? Pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. Now, that's a lot of adjectives to apply to a non-existent entity. There's, there's clearly 
more going on in Dawkins' mind than just cool analytical examination. Listen to Dawkins as he describes how passionately he doesn't want to accept any kind of theistic order of the universe. This is on National Public Radio Interview. Quote, Dawkins says, If it were ever shown that life on this planet was designed, then I would say it must have been some extraterrestrial intelligence, following perhaps Francis Crick's suggestion of directed panspermia. This is that life might have been seeded on Earth in the nose cone of a rocket sent from some distant civilization that wanted to spread its life, its form of life around the universe. There you go. Now, Canada, U.S., these are free countries, and if you don't want to believe in God, you don't have to. But this is significant. Here is one of the most published atheists in the world today, highly educated, and he's saying, if it ever were shown, that's the important part of the quote, if it ever were shown that the universe, the only possible explanation for the universe was intelligent design, if it ever were shown that, if it were shown that the only explanation for the universe was intelligent design, Dawkins has already decided already decided that if that were ever proven to him that there's design behind the universe he's already decided to go with little green men or sperm in a spaceship if the only other option is God do you see something going on there mentally and this from the man who says believers are Delusional. Little green men. If it were shown that the universe had to have intelligent design at the beginning, little green men from a spaceship is what he's decided he would already go with. And if we're dealing with the origin of the universe, where did that spaceship come from anyway? Here's a question that just has to be addressed. I can understand the person. Even if I don't agree with him, I can understand the person who says he simply can't find any evidence for belief in God. And that person, I assume would become a theist if there were actual evidence presented and he or she was open-minded, evidence presented that made belief in God impossible to deny. So far, so good. I'm okay with that. But what makes Dawkins say, even if I were shown that this universe couldn't possibly have come about without intelligent design. Even if it were proven to me, I'm not going with God. What makes a person say that? Because that's different. Why is it his foregone conclusion that little green men in a spaceship is the only option he would accept, no matter what was proven to him, 
This is my only other option. Why couldn't there be at least a little slice? Okay, so you're not a believer. Just a tiny little slice of room for an intelligent creator God if it were proven that this universe is intelligently designed and planned. Why could you not find some tiny little space at least for that remote possibility that, well, maybe there's a God? And suddenly... Something in your head goes, oh. Dawkins, though in less uh, forthright, honest words, but what you come to realize as you read him is he's starting at the same place as that quote from atheist philosopher Thomas Nagel at the beginning of this study. Quote, it isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I'm right about my belief. It's that I hope there's no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. So if you prove to me that this universe didn't just happen, I'm going with little green men in a spaceship. Sorry, no God. Now the point I want to unpack for the next four weeks, we're just scratching the surface tonight a bit. It's simple to state. Here's my premise. There is more going on in the denial of God than intellectual fact processing. You can see it both in the statements of modern atheists. I've shown you some. We'll look at a bunch. In the statements of modern atheists, which is of secondary importance, but you can see this same truth in the clear analysis of the scriptures, which is more important, that there's always a moral component to God rejection. There's a moral component. Now, when I say a moral component, I don't mean that all atheists are just outwardly wicked people. I don't suppose atheists are any more outwardly wicked, what we'd call bad people, any more than theists are sometimes outwardly wicked and bad people. But what I do mean, here's what I do mean. I mean that there is a prejudice in the heart that leaves all atheists less objectively unbiased in their rejection of God than they want to admit or are perhaps even aware of. It's not that they're not intelligent. It's that there's a, there's a misuse of intelligence, a misdirection of intelligence. Both the scriptures and a lot of their own testimonies admit this and state this. Only God's word can shine the light of truth into this dark area of the human heart. Because, because we are all participants in what the Bible calls the suppression of divine light and truth. We are in the poorest position to examine this darkness without divine revelation, and that's going to be the study of future weeks. 
And the reason this matters so much is virtually all atheists believe, or at the very least want you to believe, that they're atheists predominantly because this is where the facts have led them. They would have you believe that they are the objective seekers of truth. You and I, we'll see this in future weeks, you and I, in the atheist mind, we are nice people, sincere people, but needy people. And we're caught up with some inward need to to believe. The universe, we don't want it to be as impersonal as it is. There's got to be a friend up there somewhere. We desperately don't want to be left alone. We hope there's something after death. And so, religion has evolved and sort of created... There's, a, there's this, don't worry, he's out there. Atheists want you to believe they, they approach it objectively. There's no need. They're just looking at the plain, bare facts. I have two points. Do your notes say three? I don't know why. There's just two. You got two or three? You only have two, if it just says three. Yeah. I could say one and four, but you still just have two points. One, before considering the root of atheism, which is really what this series is about, okay? Before considering the root of atheism, I want to just quickly examine the two most commonly stated arguments used to deny God's existence. There are many, but they come under two main umbrellas, just to simplify it for our purposes. Pretty well, all atheists root their conviction in the two most commonly held arguments against God's existence. The problem of evil, first, and then naturalism, proven by science. I say in the notes, neither one of those is what this series is about. But I want to just state them quickly so we'll have just a bit of a framework as to where their heads are coming from. So first, the problem of evil. That's A, one A. And these are my words, but it goes like this. The world is filled with suffering and evil. If God were all loving, he would want to end it. If God were all-powerful, he would be able to end it. But he hasn't ended it. Therefore, there is no all-powerful, all-loving God. The argument has rolled on and on and on and on through the decades. You You could bury the earth in books on what is commonly known as the problem of evil. The study called theodicy. You don't need to know that. That's just what it's called. All I want to say up front is this argument actually has nothing to do with the existence of God. It has more to do with the nature, the ability, and the character of God, but it says virtually nothing about whether some kind of God does or doesn't exist. It certainly says he doesn't meet some people's expectations 
But the argument here has nothing to do with whether or not there is some kind of God. But even so, even so, the fact that such a widely debated area of thought exists, by itself, I want to argue, points to the existence of God, points to the existence of a good God, and points to the existence of a creating God. Let me just kind of whittle that down. Whether this topic, and it's surely a debated topic, the problem of evil, whether it's addressed by a devout Christian, C.S. Lewis, the problem of pain, or a passionate atheist like Dawkins, the concern is the same for each. Something is perceived as being wrong with this world. And it's so obvious that it's just taken as a given. That's why, that's why, whatever side of the fence you're on, virtually everyone, when they're talking about this issue, everyone calls it the same thing. They all call it the problem of evil. Evil, we call it. And there's a bunch of it. Look around. Great Russian novelist Fyodor Dostoevsky declared, the earth is soaked from its crust to its center with the tears of humanity. There it is. It's our world. Soaked. Isn't that a great expression? Soaked from the crust to its center with the tears of humanity. Now the question then is, this observation that virtually everyone has come to, is this universal observation of the evil and pain of our world an accident? Or is it evidence of divine love? I mean, think about it. To say there is a problem of evil is to say that things are not as they ought to be. Agreed? But how can an atheist possibly say that? I mean, from whence come these value statements? If there is no God, if evil just is what is, how should anyone have discovered anything to be evil? I mean, do, do fish swim around complaining about being wet? Does a person blind from birth complain about the dark? Where do we get this recognition, wait a minute, something is evil here. Something is wrong here. Wrong? What do you mean wrong? When I say something's wrong, I'm supposing that there's a way that it should be right. When I say something's evil, I mean that it really should be good. 
I mean, the Christian has a right to complain about evil. I believe there's an explanation for it. But at least the Christian has the right to complain about evil. Evil, if I can put it this way, at least it makes sense for the Christian. This fallen world is evil precisely because it is now the opposite of the good God who created it. I mean, creation has some kind of moral footing. There's, there's a logical context for both experiencing evil and recognizing evil and explaining evil. It's, it's a definable reality. It's a distortion. It's a perversion of the way things should be if there's a good God. But the atheist has no grounds for that complaint. None at all. So not only does the atheist have no moral ground for complaining about evil, he has no moral ground for even recognizing evil or talking about evil. The problem of evil. On to, real quick, the second most common argument against God's existence, and it's B. Reality is what is knowable through the senses. Truth is found in reason and science. God can't be proven through science. Therefore, there's no evidence for his existence. It's called naturalism. The belief that the world of nature is all there is. So it's not just technically naturalism. It's not just that there's no God... Uh, no angels, no human souls, no spirits, no eternal life. All that, all that is supernatural is, is off bounds, unprovable. And positivism, that's the belief that the empirical evidence gathered through the senses is the road to all there is to know. All that actually exists, and of course God doesn't, you can't put them under a microscope. God doesn't fit in there. But here, too, there are at least some problems that arise for the atheist. If positivism, that's the belief that only things that can be examined and explained through the physical senses, scientifically proven. If positivism is true, then it actually has to be false. Because that statement, all there is to know, must come through the evidence gathered by the senses. That statement, it can't be examined in any laboratory. You can't put it under a microscope. In short, the notion that all beliefs must be scientifically verifiable isn't scientifically verifiable. So all of this, all of this creates a belief system that no atheist can consistently live with. It can be declared, no question. It can be argued, no question. It can be published, no question. But it gets really complicated to consistently live with it. What, what must be held as convictions in the mind are tremendously hard to live out in God's world. And I want to just give you one example. Consider these words. They're rather bleak. They're from, again, from Richard Dawkins in uh, his book, River Out of Eden, A Darwinian View of Life. And here's what he says. I want you to think about this. 
The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is, at bottom, no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good. Nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is. And we dance to the music. Now, like it or not, that's a very honest assessment of naturalism. What is, is what is. And it's all there is. DNA just is. And we dance to the music. But no one lives like that. Not even Dawkins. Don't forget these words that I read at the beginning. Dawkins saying that God was a petty, unjust, unforgiving, control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, philicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully. But why these complaints? From whence comes this rage? Where on earth did all these morally packed criticisms come from? DNA? Whatever happened to whatever is, just is. No feelings, no emotions. And why isn't Dawkins just dancing to the music? He hates God. You can see it in every word that comes out of his mouth. Where does that come from? DNA? No, there's something else at work here. There's something else at work here, and it's going to be the theme of the next four teachings. Tonight, I want to peel back the very first layer of the onion. We're almost done. And it's point number two, or, if you'd like, three in your notes. The biblical revelation is there's a moral dimension to the departure from faith in God. Two texts, I'm just going to comment and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Psalm 14.1 The fool says in his heart there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. Reference number two. Romans 1.18 For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who, by their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. By their unrighteousness, suppress the truth. Now, this is the consistent biblical witness. It will take weeks for us to unpack it all. The modern trend is very different, even in the church. The modern trend is to think of those who don't believe as being, they're all of them seekers of truth. We do seeker services in our churches. Because everybody out there who doesn't believe, you know what they want? They just want desperately to find the truth about God. And that's not the biblical witness. It's not the biblical testimony. 
Paul calls, Paul calls these people suppressors of truth. Not seekers. It's an S word, but it's not the same S word. Not seekers. Suppressors. They, they, they hold down the truth that they know until they don't know it anymore. One of the teachings in this series, the last message or the second to last message, we're going to study carefully in what sense can the biblical meaning be understood that calls unbelievers enemies of God. Paul, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. Not if while we were seekers. Do you see the difference? If while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God. How, how are these people enemies? I want to look at that. Are they all God's enemies? I want to look at that. How does this condition of enmity, how does it manifest itself? For now, just note... ...the way the atheist speaks primarily to his... ...or her own heart before speaking anywhere else. Psalm 14, 1. The fool says, in his heart, there is no God. Remember Nagel's quote at the beginning? I don't, I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. It is unacceptable to me. Remember Dawkins? If it were shown to me... ...that the universe was intelligently designed... ...I will go with green men in a spaceship. God is not allowed in my thinking. The fool has said in his heart... ...do you see it now? He's not, not preaching to anybody else. He starts here. There is no God. There is no God. There is no God. No, there is no God. There is no God. There is no God. Play that tape... Keep playing it until I can hope that it's true. There is no God. There is no God. There is no God. And you start to see, oh, oh, that's what Paul's talking about. Who, who suppress the truth. They turn down the volume. They switch off the truth. They'll investigate any other option. point for our wrap-up is briefly put. The person who refuses to accept divine revelation, apart from that, the summary statement is this. The fallen human mind does not neutrally observe the world. That's it. The fallen human mind mind does not neutrally observe the world. There's a bias. There's a prejudice. I don't care if you prove intelligent design. It was green men in a spaceship. This from one of the most educated people you'll ever meet. Is he stupid? No, he's not stupid. But he's a truth suppressor. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want the universe to be like that. 
It's a doctor in philosophy, highly educated. Is he non-intelligent? No, he's very bright, but he's a suppressor. It shouldn't surprise us. Church, over and over again, it should not surprise us when God's word just cuts right through current culture and what's going on in our world. Because Jesus said, not a jot, not a tittle of this is going to pass away. This will always be true. So never let yourself feel intimidated. Never let yourself feel intimidated by the fact that very, very bright people don't believe what you believe. There's a reason for it. The Bible contains it. We're going to study it for the next few nights. Let's stand.